you got in an argument. I know you did. We all do. When did you get into your last argument? How did it go for you? Were you able to connect the gospel to the argument? If you connected the gospel to the argument, then there was a redemptive outcome. Maybe you can look at it backwards. Was there a redemptive outcome? Yes or no? If no, then you didn't connect the gospel to the argument. If yes, you you probably did. And so I want to talk about how to connect the gospel to arguments in this podcast because arguments is something that we're quite professional at. We have a lot of experience. We've done it a bunch. We're going to do it again many times, unfortunately. And it's really important uh, to, to know how to bring the gospel to bear on, on not just our arguments, but on all things pertaining to life and godliness. I had a pastor write in, and he asked, he said, I read something about connecting the gospel to practical aspects of our lives. Can you help me with that? Do you have some resources for me? Well, I've, I've written quite, quite a bit about that, and, and so I, I sent him some resources. And, and then I thought, well, you know, this would be a good one, too. Maybe I should write an article about arguments and how to connect the gospel to arguments. And, and so that's what I've got for you here. Thank you for joining me for the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. If you want to read this article, I want you to. I would love for you to do do that. Now, we require everybody that reads our article to share it with at least 10 people. And so you need to share it as well. Now, that's not exactly true, but I would appreciate it if you did share our articles. Here's the title. Here is a useful way to connect the gospel to arguments. And so you can listen to the podcast, you can read and share the article, you can print it off as well. That would be quite beneficial. There are times in a relationship where winning the argument, that should not be our first call to action, but I know that that is our temptation. There is something within us that just wants to be right, and we don't do what James says. We're not quick to listen and and slow to anger, and I believe it's gotten worse because of the social media culture in, in, which, we, uh, in, in which we live in today. I had a, I had a, a rare and stunning social media breakdown today. I actually went on Facebook and I made a comment on somebody's page. I haven't done that all year. That's not a New Year's resolution, by the way, but I haven't done it all year because I don't do that. And I haven't, I don't know if I did it last year or not. I don't do that. And I was feeling kind of frisky, I suppose. And and, and made a comment on Facebook page, and I'd be doggone, you know, some woman just got all snarky, and and so I just went and deleted it. I said, what in the world was I, I thinking? Why did I do that? That was that was dumb. I, s- social media for me is a one-way street. I don't go there to connect with people. I have people that I can connect with. They have, they have skin on them, and I can touch them and see them and feel them and talk to them face-to-face. But anyway, I had a frisky moment and did something that was way out of the box. But as soon as that person trigger-fired on me, I just went and deleted it because I'm not interested. I have no interest. I've got stuff to do, and, and, and Facebook ain't part of my stuff. It's a one-way It's a one-way street. And so 
our uh, winning the argument and, and, and being all trigger happy, that should not be our first call to action. Jesus talked about turning the other cheek and going the extra mile with some folks. What relationships do you have where it would be a better experience if you could practice these things, turning your cheek and walk it an extra mile. Now, perhaps the advice that I want to share with you in, in this podcast, well, it will, it will serve you and it will help you as you seek to connect the gospel to your arguments. But I want to give you a reader warning right at the top of this podcast because the truths that I'm going to present to you, they are not N-O-T. They are not for abusive relationships. If you are in an abusive relationship, I do have some resources here. You can go to the article and just click on this link, but don't read the article because it doesn't apply. But you can read these others that this link will take you to about abuse, and you can listen to those resources as well. And I also have another link here, and I'm appealing to you to find help promptly. Not tomorrow, not next week. Find help today, right now. And you can go and and you can click on this link and and find a, a counselor probably close to you. But in our culture, it doesn't matter a lot because you can connect through the internet. But find help. And so there's your reader warning, your listener warning. It's not for this is for normal relationships, you know, just everyday Christians who have normal dust ups. But if someone is abusing you, that person is not normal. You may be normal, but the other person in the relationship is not. And so I just want you to hear that loud and clear. All right, I'm going to go get Biff and Mabel and bring them in. Someone commented on the forum just a couple days ago, maybe three days ago, that they like Biff and Mabel. Biff and Mabel has helped them, (laughs) you know, kind of like David in the Psalms. David is a good Uh, a good illustration because he was an imperfect person and we can learn a lot from people's imperfections and and Biff and Mabel are full of it uh, of imperfections and this person was saying they really benefited uh, from that and so Carrie thank you so much for your comment about Biff and Mabel I kind of like them too I've grown fond of them and so let's go get them here they are now Biff and Mabel they got into an argument in this instance Biff was right Mabel was wrong Biff chose not to win the debate, choosing instead to win his wife. How novel. I'm not going to win the debate, but I have a higher aim, a bigger goal. I'm going to win my wife. Biff modeled a rare discussion point about the gospel that I want to address in this podcast, and I can do that. We can start anyway by asking you a question. Which is more vital to you, being right and winning the argument, or helping your spouse mature in Christ. And so if that's 1A and 1B, which one is 1A, which one is 1B? Being right and winning the argument, or helping your spouse mature in Christ. Though Biff could have built a case against Mabel, he submitted to what he believed the Spirit was doing in him at that moment. He asked the Lord to give him the insight to to help his wife grow closer to Jesus. His goal was much higher than a short-lived conquest. Uh, 
You've heard the saying, it's not about winning the battles, but about winning the war. Now, I am not making marriage analogous to warfare, though I suppose for some folks that's what it's like. But your relationship must not be about winning the battles, but about succeeding in helping each other mature into Christ-likeness. Sometimes our craving to win by having the last word, by being right, or even our self-serving competitive nature can short-circuit what God could do in our marriages. We can, be, we can become so doggedly laser-focused on the argument at hand that we miss the bigger picture, which is making God's name great in your covenant, or if we're not talking about marriage here, we're talking about another relationship, but either one. Biff was right, but did it matter? Let me give you the story. Biff and Mabel were at a restaurant. The conversation was going great until Mabel brought up their last argument from two months ago. That's right. Two months ago. An old argument. Now, that's something for the trigger-happy trigger person. You mean we're, we're talking about this again? We already discussed that ad infinitum. Why are we going through this again? Not only that, Mabel forgot to mention how she was the actual cause of that old conflict. Her talking point at the restaurant was Biff's anger toward her during that dust-up. Now, Biff's in initial and in, in internal temptation was to reframe the restaurant conversation. Uh, he wanted to correct her in the restaurant that night about what happened two months ago, but he chose not to. Here's a novel idea. Try this on someone you love. Maybe try it on someone you don't love as well. That would work too. He decided the best thing he could do was listen to his wife, seeking to understand her rather than making a case for the truth, which she was skewing. Now, by doing so, Biff learned that Mabel was struggling with a lingering problem. Now, think about this. The, the, the old two-month conflict, what they had, the, the dust-up they had two months ago that she's bringing up again in the restaurant. Now, that's a lingering problem. But Mabel, she had been struggling even before that. It was not about the two-month-old argument, but a more in-depth issue. From her perspective, Biff has not been as attentive to her for the past couple of years. And so now what we see, and this is what you're going to see in a lot of conflict, that you have the conflict, but the conflict was not the genesis of the problem. In many of the arguments that we have, it's because there's been a long-standing unresolved issue. Now, maybe both people don't know about it, and only one of them does, and and then they have a conflict, of course, the one who doesn't know what the real issue is, uh, they can get so focused on the argument because they have no clue that this is a two-year-old problem, not an immediate problem that's happening right uh, now or what the argument is about. That's why it was so cool that Biff chose to listen because what happened, rather than getting them locking horns in the restaurant the way they did two months ago, Biff was able to listen and find out that, oh, this is not about the argument two month ago, two months ago, or the argument now. Not primarily, but it's about something that's been going on in her soul for a long time. 
Biff had jumped to defending himself. If Biff had jumped to defending himself by correcting Mabel's factual errors, he would have missed all of this. Not just a redemptive moment in the here and now, but the possibility of future change. The thing the Lord wanted Biff to see was his wife's long-standing frustration. How many arguments have you gotten into with someone where you miss the big point because you were focused on lesser points? Even if those, even if those lesser points, maybe at some point in the future, you need to iron out those wrinkles, but it's not the main thing, not right now. Rarely are the primary points of arguments about the details, but the underlying frustrations that have been building, which is what happened with Mabel. The best conflicts are the ones where the details aren't the main focus, but it's what God can do restoratively because you focused on the right stuff. Most disagreements do not rise to that level of importance. And sometimes it's better to just concede the point in the disagreement, to take the hit, rather than always having to be right. There is a profound biblical precedent for someone accepting wrong because he had his eye on a more significant prize. There is no more profound illustration of this than the gospel himself. And that's why I titled the podcast, Here is a Useful Way to Connect the Gospel to Arguments. And so I've been talking about Mabel, Biff and Mabel's argument, and now what I want to do is to connect the argument and any argument that you have had, I want to connect it to the gospel, to Christ himself. You see, Christ took our evil upon himself. Why? He took the hit. Why? So we could experience transformation. Biff took it upon himself so he could get to the bottom of it all. So Mabel could experience transformation. And so Christ took evil, our evil, mine, yours, upon himself, so we could experience transformation through his activity on the cross. Paul talked about it this way in 2 Corinthians. In 5.21, he says this. This is probably one of the, the verses that you memorize for all you Awana people out there. I know you memorized this one. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he, the Father, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What did Christ do? The heart of the gospel. The cross is the center point of the gospel. The gospel has always existed in eternity past. The gospel will always exist in eternity future. And then in between those eternities is an element of time. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Revelation, time will be no more. And then right in the middle of time is a cross stuck in the ground and the Savior of the world hanging on that cross. And why did he do that? To take our wrongness upon himself because we, so that we, could become the righteousness of God. Christ, who knew no, no sin, took our sin on himself so that we could experience transformation into his image. This truth is one of the more stunning expressions and benefits of the gospel. Another person steps up, takes the hit, so you and I do not have to experience our wrongs. 
Now, we are not Jesus, and our call is different, but there is an echo of the gospel here. We're not going to be dying on crosses. We're not going to be forgiving, forgiving people, not in the sense of, in the way that Jesus did. But there is an echo of imitation here. We can imitate the gospel by doing what he did, though not literally, but practically before others. One of the ways you can do this is by receiving another person's faults because you want to do a better thing in their lives. What I'm not saying is that you're supposed to let someone abuse you. I've said that earlier, and I want to insert it here at the halfway point because I know people, some people will do that. Their experience has been so heavy, so horrific, so harsh, and it's not something that they can shake off in a week, a month, a year. And some of them, the residual effect of some abuse can can linger a lifetime. And because of that, there's, there's another kind of echo in their souls, and it's the echo of the abuse. And when they hear podcasts like this, what they will do is they will map their experience over what they are hearing. They're hearing it through a filter, and they're not hearing what I'm saying, but they're hearing this heavily shaped filter that has come through their abuse. And so when I talk about receiving someone else's faults for the sake of the gospel, I am not talking to any person who is in an abusive relationship. I'm speaking of typical arguments between ordinary Christians, not the stuff that happens in abusive relationships. Jesus talked about this with his turn the other cheek and the walk the extra mile language that I mentioned in the very beginning. That was Matthew 5, 38 through 42. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You know that language well. And that's what Biff could have did, done in the rest, restaurant that night. That's what he did do two months ago, unfortunately. He went eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But Jesus says, I say unto you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You can see why I put that disclaimer in there about abuse. Christ went on to say, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if, it, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, you cannot take a person's sin, and you cannot forgive them the way Jesus does. But can you show self-control in your arguments? You can exercise wisdom by focusing on a higher prize in the relationship. You can exhibit a slowness toward anger, for example, as James talked about in 119. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Parents understand this concept because they know better than to nickel and dime their kids for every, everything they do wrong. The wise parent overlooks an offense because they have a higher goal for their child. And you too want to play the long game with your children. 
An analogy is when your four-year-old brings you a, a drawing that, have, that they have been working on all morning. You would not negatively critique it by comparing it to real art, like what you see in the museum, which sometimes I think my kids' drawings when they were four is better than what they call art today. But nevertheless, rather than disillusioning your child, you have something else in mind. As you think about what their future could be like through your encouragement. Now, each situation, every relationship, all the context are different. What works today may not be wise tomorrow. The things that make sense for my relationship with my wife could be a problem for you. You want wisdom. This is a pneumatic thing. This is not a seven-point thing in and out from an outline. This is not the, the best the favorite book that you have about whatever it, it may be. This is not something that's codified, that's written, and, and everybody can read it and do the same thing. No, this is pneumatic stuff. You need the Spirit's illuminating insight to know how to navigate the contours of your relationship. Maybe one of the ways you can think about it is to think about how God uniquely related to you before your salvation, I'm going to assume here that you are a believer. And if you are, I know for a fact that he related to you uniquely. He did not map the same response and reaction and way of intera interacting and engaging with an individual the same way across the board. A perfect word to describe his activity in our lives prior to salvation is endured. He endured. He endured us because he had a higher purpose. He could see the end which created gospel patience. Read how, listen to how the Hebrew writer described it in, in Hebrews 12. Verse 2, look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here it is, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. That's why I'm using the word endured here. There was joy placed before him, and because of that joy, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured our sin on our behalf because he could see what the end could look like for you and me. Now, as far as his unique engagement in my life, I spent the first 25 years of my life treasuring up wrath, as, as Paul talked about in Romans 2.5, treasuring up wrath against God. That's how I lived for a quarter of a century. Rather than beating me over the head every time I sinned in my youth, well, I would be dead. The Savior was patiently bringing me to a place of complete surrender to him. Paul provides a snapshot of how the kindness, the forbearance, the patience of God leads to change in, in Romans. And so I've used the word endure, and now I'm using the words kindness and forbearance and, and patience. He said this in 2.4, do you presume, do you take for granted that the riches, the riches of what? The riches of his kindness, the riches of his forbearance, the riches of his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. Those are some of the tools that you can use when you get into an argument. Biff chose not to give Mabel what she deserved. He rose above it by, by losing the argument. 
Being the biggest loser at the moment was not as vital as his long-term goals for his marriage. Here are three things that were going through Biff's mind as far as long-term goals. He wanted to see her mature in Christ. Thus, he knew that battling every inch of the way would not accomplish that good aim. Number two, he wanted her to see how the love of Christ controls him as he modeled the gospel before her. And then number three, he did not want to do to her what the Savior would not do to him, which is to punish her for each little mistake. The Savior would not do that, and so he was imitating the gospel at that point. Biff also knew that if he had to take on an affliction for Christ's sake, the good Lord would comfort him. But more than that, Biff would be able to bring a similar comfort to his wife. This concept of of receiving comfort from God to give comfort to others is part of what Paul was getting at when he wrote to the Corinthians. Here's a a little bit of 2 Corinthians 1, verses 5 and 6. Paul said, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, we're taking on Christ's, we're sharing in Christ's suffering, so through Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And then he goes on to talk about where we comfort those in the same way that we have been comforted. Follow Paul's sequence of thought and ask the Spirit of God to help you as you listen to these three sequential steps to help you make these concepts useful in your life. Number one, we are afflicted as Jesus was afflicted. Number two, by sharing in the afflictions of Christ, we are comforted by the Father through Christ. Number three, just as we are comforted by the Father through Christ, we can comfort others. Christ was willing to take our punishment so we could be comforted. Part of the comfort we receive from Christ is a a progressive sanctification that distances us from our former dysfunctional way of living, and it moves us toward a new Christ-centered way of functioning. And now we are enabled, empowered, to bring a similar comfort to those within our sphere of influence. You've been listening to the podcast. Here is a useful way to connect the gospel to arguments. If you'd like to read it, you can go and and find that title on our website, and you're welcome to do that. Here's the call to action. I will not be able to cover everything here, but again, it's all here for you if you want it. But I want to hit a couple of points here because they'll be important as I wrap up. A sober-minded believer has to think, why would I not endure my my spouse's sin for the gospel's sake. I mean, that should be part of what's going through our minds now if you are a sober-minded believer. Surely I want to do that. Biff chose to live out the gospel before his wife because he believed it was more important to love his wife the way Christ loved the church than win that blooming argument. Now, what I'm saying is not easy And that's why I have a list of questions here that could serve you and they could take you into a deeper reflection as you process this concept of connecting the gospel to your arguments. And so here's the the first one. 
Is it hard for you to absorb your spouse's sin? Why or why not? Now, I would hope that you would spend time rolling this question around your head and humbly asking the Lord to give you more light on this matter. Is it hard for you to... to, to what we're talking about is overlooking an offense because you're playing the long game. You have a bigger prize. Is it hard for you to do that? Why or why, why not? Now, I know some of you have extremely difficult spouses, and and I understand, I, I can imagine how you would answer the question, but again, this podcast is more for typical Christian relationships. Number two, is it hard for you to look over an offense? Now, that's similar to the previous question. I, I want you to spend time thinking and, and praying about this. You just have a hard time looking over. Perhaps your reflections in prayer could be life-transforming. Number three, is it hard for you to let go of certain things your spouse does? Some personality types brood too much. They are over-introspective people. Letting go of something does not come easy. They're normal people. This is how they are. There are people who are like, there, there are people there, there are people who can just let things go, and it, they really do not struggle with it. But everybody is not like that. Now, if you are a person who broods and you're over-introspective and you really have a tough time letting things go, it may prove useful for you to talk to someone about this. Maybe Mabel is like this as she's bringing up a conversation from two months ago. Now, I realize there was an underlying issue there because she's been struggling two years in how Biff has been treating her. And so it may be more nuanced than that. But she also could be a brooder as well. There's a few more questions here, some more call to action, and you're welcome to jump on those. I would love for you to do it. If you have a question for us, we have a free community forum that is so essential to our ministry. We want to interact with you, and if we can help you, let us know. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.